Well, good morning, church. Uh, this morning is a special morning, not only because we have Elena here taking some pictures, uh, which, by the way, there is a standing order for her to take a picture of anyone who falls asleep during the sermon, okay? So you have been warned. Uh, uh, you have been warned. You've been warned, okay. Uh, but no, this is, this is a special morning also because we are starting the conversation on what biblical leadership looks like, Okay. And at the end of our gathering, then we're going to call two guys up and their families, and they're going to embark on this journey that we are calling uh, our elder candidacy uh, uh, journey, where the next year we, we will be getting them ready for eldership. And so we'll save that for the end of the service. Uh, but, but this morning, as we look at 1 Timothy and we look at some other passages, let me first, let me first clarify a couple of things. Uh, whoever's kid that is, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's my kid for, yeah, okay. Uh, but let me clarify, this, this, this morning, the passages we look at, this is not going to be a comprehensive teaching on what biblical eldership is all about. Time is just not going to allow for that. Uh, but this morning is going to mainly serve to start the conversation about what we believe healthy church leadership should look like. And so as we go throughout this next year and as we get closer a year from now and in installing two more elders, we're going to continue to teach on eldership and, and what healthy church leadership looks like. But today we're starting the conversation. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. I know we just read from 1 Timothy. We're going to get there in a moment, but we're going to start this morning in Mark chapter 10. We'll have the scriptures up on the screen as well. And as you're turning there, I want you to think about this concept of leadership, okay, leadership. Leadership's kind of a big buzzword these days right now, right? There are tons of books out there written just on leadership. You can find a ton of podcasts to listen to that are all about leadership. You can find blogs and websites and things that are just devoted to leadership. You can go to conferences and retreats to learn how to be a better leader and hear all about leadership right? It's, it's kind of the big, it's one of the big topics of our days, this idea of leadership. Everyone wants to know about leadership. Because I, think about it, I mean, every organization, every business, every government, every community, every household, every church, whether it be formal or informal, every gathering of people has and needs leadership. It has and needs, I mean, think about this. Think about if a group of kids in your neighborhood gather together to play kickball, right? I mean, you, you just watch and observe what would happen, not in a creepy way, but just watch and observe what happens, right? You're going to see one or two leaders emerge. They're going to organize teams. They're going to pick teams. They're going to divide up and divide, you know, decide how they're going to play the game. If you have a group of volunteers that's going out to serve the city, I mean, you watch what happens. A leader is going to emerge to organize and delegate and get things going so that everything can happen. And I think all of us, whether we, it's subconscious or whether it's conscious, we know that we need leaders. We want good leaders. We know we need good leaders. And yet, if we're honest, if we look at the world around us, I think it's safe to say we have a leadership problem. We have a leadership problem. I mean, we've had leaders from all different organizations, including churches, 
abuse their power to take advantage of people that they are supposed to be leading, right? We have leaders who domineer and they attempt to control the people that are entrusted to them. We've had leaders use their power to sexually abuse, to mentally torment, to emotionally manipulate the people that they are supposed to be leading. And the church, the church is not immune to this either. The failures of church leaders, whether it be moral failures or whether it just be failure to lead well, that, that failure of church leaders has, has caused many to walk away from the church and leave it all together. I mean, don't we see church leader after church leader and pastor after pastor and politician after politician be exposed in scandals? And after a while, I don't know about you, but after a while of hearing scandal after scandal and, and leader after leader falling, I can become pretty quickly disenchanted with this idea of leadership. Like, I, I, know, I know we want it. I know it seems good. I know it seems like we need leadership. But I don't know about you, but right now I'm kind of skeptical of leaders, right? I'm kind of over this leadership thing. But then we come to our Bibles, we come to the Lord, and God, as he often does, he reminds us of the way things are supposed to be. He reminds us that this idea of leadership was actually his idea. But because of our sin and because of our selfishness, we've taken, we've taken it, we've twisted it, we've distorted it, and we've turned it into something that it was never meant to be. But church, I'm here to share with you some good news this morning. All right, good news. I'm here to share with you this morning that the redeeming work of Christ and the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit not only enables us to live like Jesus, but it also enables us to lead like Jesus. I mean, we know that as Christians, right, as followers of Christ, we are to live like Jesus. But for those of us who are called to leadership, which I would say all of us are called to lead at some time, in some place, in some setting. I think all of us have times where we are called to lead. We need to understand and we can be encouraged that this concept of leadership that we have taken and twisted and distorted, it is not beyond the redeeming work of Christ. And because of his work, and because the sanctifying work of the Spirit, we can not only live like Jesus, but we can now lead like Jesus. Amen? Amen? We want good leaders. We know we need good leaders. But church, healthy leaders, they live like Jesus and they lead like Jesus. All right? Look now at Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 42. Mark 10, starting in verse 42. <clears throat> and Jesus called to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, people have called the kingdom of God, they've called it an upside-down kingdom because things seem so opposite and so contrary to what the world would tell us. Because you see, contrary to what the world would tell us, Jesus says, no, if you want to be first, you're going to have to be last, right? If you want to be great, 
you actually need to be like a slave. If you want to lead, you actually need to serve, to serve. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus not only calls us to this servant leadership, but he sets the example for us, right? I mean, he humbled himself by coming to earth, by allowing himself to be tempted just as we are tempted, but he was without sin. He then served us and laid his life down for us. And not only that, but even now he is serving us by interceding for us with the Father. Jesus said, you want to lead like me, you're going to have to serve like me. If you want to lead like Jesus, he calls us to servant leadership. You see, we want good leadership. We know we need good leadership, but we have a leadership problem when we think that being a leader means being served instead of serving others. We have a leadership problem when people aspire to leadership because they want to be served. But what would it look like, church, to have leaders raised up that had a desire to serve like Jesus? Leaders in the church, and I would argue in all organizations or businesses, at their healthiest, they are servant leaders. Those are the leaders people want to follow. Those are the leaders that bring life to a church and life to a business or to an organization or to the employees that they are leading. Servant leadership is the healthy form of leadership that Jesus calls us to when he says, lead like I lead by serving like I serve. And so as a church, shouldn't we have leaders that don't have a desire to domineer or to control. We shouldn't have leaders that desire power or authority or prestige or for people to serve them. No, healthy biblical leaders have a desire to love and serve the church. And while we are all called to lead at different times and in different places and in different settings, the main leadership we see in the Bible that God puts in place for his church is this group of people called elders. Elders. So we're going to talk about elders the rest of our time. Now the term elder in our culture, it means something a little different than what the Bible uh, is talking about when it speaks about elders, right? Because our culture defines elders as someone who is older, right? Or advanced in years. And you'll remember, we don't call people old here at this church. We call them well-seasoned, all right? Well-seasoned or closer to glory, closer to glory. Both of those are acceptable terms, but we don't call people old here, okay? But when you think of elder in our culture, you think of someone who is older, right? Someone advanced in years. But biblically, okay, biblically, the term elder is not necessarily referring to an age. It's, referring, it's referencing this primary office of church leadership, okay? It's referencing this primary office of church leadership. And in the New Testament, we see the term elder, pastor, and overseer. Overseer also can be translated bishop, okay? We see elder, pastor, and overseer in the New Testament all used interchangeably for this same office, okay? This same primary office of church leadership. 
Now, it gets confusing because many times, uh, you know, churches, especially in our culture, if someone's on staff, they'll call them a pastor. Or if someone went to seminary, they'll call them a pastor. But if someone's just a volunteer leading the church, we call them a lay elder or something like that. So it can get confusing. And it's not to say that churches that do that are, are wrong and we're not trying to bash what other churches do. But we just want to be as consistent with Scripture as we possibly can. And therefore, we say, hey, it, it appears in the, in the Bible, elders, pastors are the same office. It's referencing the same group of individuals. Elders are pastors. Pastors are elders. Some will be on staff. Some will not be on staff. That's not even part of the discussion, right? Pastors are elders. Elders are pastors. It's referencing the same office. Let me show you an example of this, okay? You don't have to turn there. Uh, We're just going to look briefly at it. But if you can look up on the screen at 1 Peter 5, okay? 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 3 says, so I exhort the elders, okay, the elders, we're talking about this, this primary office of church leadership, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, verse 2, shepherd, or that's where we get our word pastor, okay, shepherd, pastor, the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, All right, that's that word overseers or bishop, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Verse three, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And so he says, I exhort the elders to pastor, right? I exhort the elders to shepherd. I exhort the elders to oversee, okay? Peter is saying elders are to pastor. Elders are to pastor. They are to shepherd. The office of elder, what do they do? First Peter says they shepherd, they pastor. The elders are not just a, a, a board of, of, of voters, right? They don't just vote on church decisions. That might be part of it, but they primarily, they pastor. They shepherd the flock, that God has given them. Well, let's break it down a little bit more as to what do shepherds do, okay? It's great to say, okay, I see elders are to shepherd, but what are shepherds supposed to do? And so I want to share four things with you this morning that I think keeps it simple and kind of gives us four different categories of what shepherds are to do. Shepherds, number one, they are to lead the flock. Shepherds, number two, they are to feed the flock. Shepherds, number three, they are to protect the flock the flock. And shepherds, number four, they care for the flock. Okay? So elders are pastors, and pastors are elders, and they are to lead, feed, protect, and care for the people that God has entrusted to them. Now, we've already talked a little bit about about how they should lead, right? Let's break down each one of those, lead, feed, protect, and care for. We've already talked about how they should lead, right? They should lead like Jesus. They should be servant leaders. Leading the flock, though, it also entails knowing where the flock needs to go and lovingly leading them there, okay? And not only do elders do this by by teaching and and helping people see where the Bible is calling them to go, but they also lead by setting an example for the flock. 
Elders should be setting an example by their conduct and their character for people to be led and to follow after. Derek Tabal, who is a, a British theologian and pastor, in his book, Skillful Shepherds, he writes this of elders leading their flock. He writes this. He says, Skillful shepherds will lead the sheep. They will not be content for the flock to remain as they are, nor even to manage them more efficiently. They will seek their progress individually and corporately towards maturity. They will not just be managers, for managers deal in seen realities, but leaders, for leaders deal in unseen potentials. Let me read that last sentence again, okay? Because I think this helps you understand what I'm talking about when I'm saying the elders as shepherds are to lead. They will not just be managers, for managers deal in seen realities, but leaders, for leaders deal in unseen potentials. They see where the Word of God is calling the people to go, and they lead them and take them there. You see, when we take, this is the problem a lot of times in churches, when we take non-elders and non-pastors and we put them in senior leadership of a church, then many of our churches end up being led by maybe well-intentioned people, but they end up just managing God's people and not leading God's people. We end up maybe with some business-savvy organizational gurus and senior management of a church instead of called, qualified, and competent elders who see God's word and where their people need to go, and they know how to lead them there. We are not to just have managers or, or organizers leading the church. We need to have elders, pastors, who see where the flock needs to go and can lead them there. So shepherds, number one, they lead the flock. They are the pace setters. They provide directional leadership and vision for the church. Shepherds, number two, they feed the flock. They feed the flock. One of the qualifications that we will see in just a moment is that they are able to teach. They are able to teach. They are able to get God's word to God's people. Okay? Now listen, I do not believe that the church needs more communicators. That's, that's kind of a pet peeve of mine, the, the, the term communicators. I realize some people use it and they're, they're well-intentioned by it, but it's a little pet peeve. I don't think the church needs more communicators. I think the church needs more elders and elders are shepherds, and shepherds feed the flock, and the flock needs to be fed the word of God. So you guys, you guys have to hear me on this one, okay? You have to hear me on this one. We many times say that the church is complacent, right? Like the church is lazy, the church is disengaged, therefore we need to get the church excited again. We, we falsely believe that the solution to this complacent church in our culture is to hype them up. But church, to the best of my discernment, I don't think the church's main problem in our culture is that we are complacent. I don't. I think the main problem with the church is that it is malnourished. 
it is starving. And the remedy for a malnourished, starving person is not to hype them up or try to get them excited. The remedy is to feed them. Feed them. And guys, I am more certain of this than almost anything. I, I just, I, this is what drives me, okay? I do not believe that Youth Group 2.0 will awaken the church in Franklin. I don't. But I believe that food will. The Word of God will. And I cannot sit on the sideline and watch people that I love in the city that I love be entertained to death all the while they not realize they are starving to death. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Get God's word to God's people. They're starving. They might at times be complacent. Sure. But I think ultimately they're starving. Shepherds lead the flock. Number two, shepherds feed the flock. Number three, shepherds protect the flock. Elders are to pastor the people by protecting them from false doctrine, by guarding the truth, by removing the divisive and harmful from the flock, and by protecting the flock from the dangers that they can see circling around them. Elders are not paranoid, okay? They shouldn't walk around being paranoid, but they do know that God's word says to expect that there will be those that rise up to distort the truth. And so as protectors of the flock, elders are not only to guard their own hearts from temptation, but they are to guard the sheep who are prone to wander, and they are to guard sound doctrine. And they are to rebuke and correct out of love those who would distort the truth. So shepherds lead the flock, shepherds feed the flock, shepherds protect the flock, and shepherds care for the flock. They take care of the flock. They love the people and they take the word of God and they help people apply it to their lives who are hurting and wounded and despairing. Elders care for their people by praying for them and by praying with them. They comfort the hurting. They encourage the discouraged. They compel the complacent. They correct the wayward. They help the weak. And they take the good news of the gospel and they help their people just soak in it and rest in it. They care for the flock. Elders are to have a, a love for the people. As I was going through church planter assessment, I didn't even realize that this was part of my story until I was just talking things out. But for so long, growing up as a church kid, growing up as a pastor's kid, I wouldn't say that I always had a love for the people. I always loved Jesus. I never had, a, you know, I never walked away from God, but I was sort of annoyed with the church. In my early 20s, right, I was just more annoyed with them, kind of some of the bickering and the, you know, the silly things that we, we argue and, and find ways to divide over. I was sort of annoyed with them. But as God continued to work on my heart and call me to ministry, I would say the point that it flipped where I knew I was to pastor is where my annoyance turned to a love and a compassion for his people. Things that they would argue about 
They might at times still annoy me a little bit, I'll be honest, right? But they, in general, don't annoy me. I, I mainly, like, am concerned for them. I mainly, I mainly want to love them through these issues that they see as being big deals that I maybe would have said, you know, 10 years ago. Why are you even talking about that? But pastors are to love and care for their flock. So elders are to pastor. To pastor is to shepherd. To shepherd means you lead, you feed, you protect, and you care for the people entrusted to you. Well, who is qualified for such a task? Who is qualified for eldership? So turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Due to time constraints, we're not going to break down every single qualification here in 1 Timothy 3. I would encourage you to go home and and read through this on your own, as well as Titus chapter 1. Uh, So we're not going to get into all the different controversial topics about who should and shouldn't be an elder. That's not my goal this morning. We We will touch on those at some point throughout the year. But my goal this morning is to start the conversation about biblical eldership. And my, go- my goal is to get the ball rolling, and we'll continue to teach on this uh, throughout the year. But we have to at least quickly run through the qualifications. And as we do, as we look at 1 uh, Timothy chapter 3, I want you to notice how many qualifications are concerned with the person's character compared to how many are concerned about their giftedness or abilities. I think you'll find it interesting. I think it'll be eye-opening. I think it's very counter-cultural to how we as churches ad- identify and raise up our pastors and elders. You see, I think we many times are most concerned about their abilities and their giftedness. We could care less about their character as long as it just stage, keep it, you know, keep it off stage, keep it behind closed doors. And so we see young men who are gifted speakers who can engage, who can, who can uh, uh, teach people the word, and we quickly raise them up and put them into elders and elder roles and pastoral roles, and we neglect even thinking or talking about their character. And when we do this, we do them and the church a disservice because Paul in 1 Timothy and then later in Titus, he seems to be mainly concerned with their character. Not as much with their gifting. And I mean, you just look around. There is example after example of this when someone's character doesn't keep up with their abilities and their giftings. When someone's character doesn't match their ability and their giftings, you watch, that is a disaster waiting to happen. That is a scandal waiting to be exposed, and that is a pastor that will inevitably fall. So take notice, Paul is way more concerned about character than abilities. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, or remember, or elder, elder, overseer, pastor, used interchangeably, verse 1, it says, he desires a noble task. This is a good task. This is a good thing. If you desire to be an elder or a pastor one day, like, that is a good thing. Praise God. I I personally believe there is no higher calling and there is no greater joy than to be a pastor and an elder. It is a noble, it is a good calling. Verse two, therefore an overseer must be above reproach. 
above reproach. Now, some have translated this blameless. This isn't to say that the elder has to be perfect. We know that's not possible. There was only one who lived a perfect life, and his name is Jesus. But to be above reproach, what does that mean? It means that you live in such a way that no one can bring a significant charge or accusation against you. Or another way of putting it is that your life is consistent with your message. Your life is consistent with your message. And listen, before we get too far in this list, all of these qualifications really are for all of us to hear, okay? Don't think that if you don't aspire to be an elder or a pastor that you are off the hook with these, okay? These are really qualifications that we should all strive after. For example, just thinking about being above reproach, Colossians 1.22 says to all believers, it says, He is now reconciled to his body of flesh by his death in order to present you, all of us, holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And we could go through the list of all of these, and I could show with most of these that this applies to all of us. These are all qualities that we should be striving with a grace-driven effort after. We are all to live lives that are above reproach, to have lives that are consistent with our message. And now he's going to break this down a little bit more. Okay, well, what does it look like to really live, live life above reproach? It's going to get really practical. Look at these next ones. Husband of one wife. So he's saying, okay, how are we to be above reproach in our marriages, right? We are to be husband of one wife. Now listen, again, this could take a whole sermon to go through. What does this mean? There's a lot of complex questions that don't have simple answers to them. Um, There are questions that come up like, can a guy be divorced and be remarried and be an elder? Can a man not be married and be an elder? And some of those questions get really tricky to navigate. Every situation needs its own own time to consider. Uh, But the, the text isn't really getting into all that. What the text is getting after which, by the way, I believe in a lot of cases a man can be remarried and and be an elder. What the text is getting after is is the the elder should be a one-woman kind of man. A one-woman kind of man. Certainly the man should not have multiple wives. I think that's, that's probably obvious, at least in this part of the country to say. Uh, I assumed you guys knew that. He shouldn't have multiple wives. But is he a one-woman kind of man? Are his eyes just for his wife? Does he flirt with other women? Does he fantasize about other women? Or is he a one-woman kind of man? Is he above reproach in his marriage? Or, I would say, in his singleness? Then, look, is he above reproach in his thought life? Look at verse 2. Sober-minded, right? Is he above reproach in his thought life? Is he sober-minded? Then is he above reproach in his actions? Look at these next ones. Self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. Now, hospitable is one that I've really been trying to understand uh, and get my mind around lately. I I feel like most of us, when we think about the gift of hospitality, we think of a little old woman welcoming you in for like milk and cookies, right? And that's like, okay, yeah, that's hospitality. I don't have to worry about that. Like, just get to the next one. Able to teach. That's what I care about, right? But look, 
Paul, being inspired by the Holy Spirit under the direction of God, includes being hospitable as one of the qualifications for a pastor and an elder. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. So we better know what it means to be hospitable. And listen, being hospitable is not you inviting your best friends over to eat your favorite food and play your favorite games. Now, you can do that. I'm not saying you can't do that. You should have nights like that. Just don't delude yourself to thinking that's you being hospitable, all right? The Greek word for hospitable indicates a love for strangers or a desire to welcome in the outsider. A desire to welcome in the outsider. And Alexander Strzok, in his book, Biblical Eldership, he says this, He says, hardly anything is more characteristic of Christian love than hospitality. Through the ministry of hospitality, we share the things we value most. Family, home, financial resources, food, privacy, and time. In other words, we share our lives. We share our lives. We welcome in the stranger and the outsider, and we share our lives with them. That is hospitality. Look back at verse 2, 1 Timothy 3. The next one is able to teach. Able to teach. Now, not every, not every elder has to be the most charismatic, powerful speaker, but they must at some level be able to teach the Word of God to God's people. They must be able to communicate it in a way that is understandable and it is applicable, whether that be even in small groups or in a one-on-one situation they should all be at some level able to teach. Verse 3, not a drunkard. Now, we don't see in the Bible a mandate for elders to completely abstain from alcohol. However, some will personally choose to do that. But we do see that they should not be controlled by any substances, alcohol or anything else. They should not be controlled. They should not be intoxicated. They should not be under the influence or addicted to any substance of any kind. Verse 3, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. He's not to be full of anger, not to have outbursts of violence. He's not to be quarrelsome or argumentative. He's not to be the guy that's always looking for an argument. And hear this, he's not to be quarrelsome even on social media. Now that just disqualified a lot of pastors in America. There's going to be a lot of job openings this week if we actually applied that to people. But they're not to be quarrelsome, but gentle. Gentle. Gentleness sometimes gets a bad rap in our culture because we, we, see, we see gentle people as being weak, right? Right? That can sometimes be viewed as not very manly. That can be viewed as as a weak thing. But actually, the opposite is true. Men who are gentle can be gentle because they have an inner strength. Those men who are violent and angry and quarrelsome, they actually reveal the inner weaknesses and struggles they have. While the men that God calls to eldership, they have an inner strength. And this allows them to be gentle and gracious with people. A man who is gentle can have a posture of humility. 
He can be teachable. He can be gracious. He can extend mercy to people. And if you really want to evaluate whether or not a man is gentle, look at how and watch how he treats his wife and his kids. Is he gentle with them? Or is he violent and angry and quarrelsome? No. God calls elders, church leaders, to be gentle. You have my word. No one will ever be considered for eldership here if they are not gentle with their wife and their kids. Verse 3. Not a lover of money. Now, I'm trying to get written into our Constitution. I've had some pushback on this, okay? But I want to be written in. An elder at this church must live by the motto, Mo money, mo problems. <laughs> I think it should be in there, right? Not a lover of money, all right? Seriously, he should be generous. He should trust God with his finances, and really, just logically, we know that he can't serve God and serve money, right? Matthew 6, 24, it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We cannot put people into eldership that love money because the Bible says you cannot serve God and money. Okay, I'm looking at the clock. We're running out of time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move quickly. Thank goodness being a good time manager is not a qualification, right? <laughs> Pastor Gary said amen. All right, amen. All right, all right. I'm going to go quick. Starting verse 4, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? His kids aren't perfect, Okay. His kids aren't perfect, but is he faithfully loving and serving his family? Why would we ask someone to love and serve God's family if they are not first loving and serving their own family? Verse 6, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Makes sense, right? The Bible doesn't give an age minimum as far as how young or how young is too young, but it does say that you shouldn't be young in the faith. You should have time to mature in your faith. Verse 7, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Okay, we got through. We got through. All right, so listen, Joshua and Kevin. And church, this is good news. Joshua and Kevin are still in the building after hearing that list of qualifications. They didn't silently sneak out, all right, after hearing all those things. They are still here. But guys, I want you to know and I want everyone else to know that when I read that list of qualifications, I think, who could ever be an elder? <laughs> who could? I mean, I hear this list. And I think I fall drastically short of this list. I, I desire those things. I mean, I see some of those things, but who could ever live up to this? There's not a month that doesn't go by that I am tempted to love money more than God. There's not a day that doesn't go by that I fail at some degree to be self-controlled. I mean, I think, am I, am I always above reproach? Am I always managing my household well? 
Am I always sober-minded? Am I always guarding my thought life? Am I always leading like a servant? And am I always feeding the flock well enough? Am I always protecting? Am I always caring as much as God is calling me to? But listen, if left to ourselves, this list is crushing. If left to our own strength and our own ability, this list is crushing. It says disqualified. There's no such thing as a perfect elder. There's no such thing as a perfect pastor. And these are qualifications that we should all give a grace-driven effort to strive for. And these are qualifications that in general should mark our lives. But no elder is perfect, no pastor is perfect, no elder candidate is perfect. And those of us who lead need the gospel just as much as anyone else. And so you guys will see this cycle play out in your life as you continue to lead more. And I think it will produce just unbelievable amounts of fruit in your life. Uh, Bob Thune in his book, Gospel Eldership, which is one of the books we're going to go through together, he describes the cycle this way, okay? He says, step one of the cycle is that you step out to lead. You step out to serve. You take a step of faith and say, okay, like I think this is what God's calling me to. I desire to serve. And that's sort of what's happening today. They're taking a step out saying, yes, like I want to follow where God is leading. But then you get to step two of the cycle where you realize that you quickly fall short of what God has called you to. You quickly realize the ways that you have already failed what God has called you to. But then if you're preaching the gospel to yourself, if you're resting in Christ, then you get to step three, where you get to repent of the ways that you have fallen short and you can trust in Christ's work on your behalf. And that leads to then step four, where now you have this renewed empowerment of the Spirit and of God's grace that he's poured out onto you so that you can now be ready for step one again, to step out and lead. But you'll see then quickly, step two, you'll fall short. And then step three, you'll repent. You'll turn. You'll trust in Christ. You'll receive renewed grace and empowerment from the Spirit. So that step one, you can step out and lead again. And this cycle goes over and over and over again. But the good news is that his mercies are new every morning. And to step out in faith to what God has called you to is, is, a, is a noble and is a good thing. But it will also serve to show you how much you need Christ and how much you need to rest on him. And my prayer is that you'll be able to echo Paul, what he says in 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 6, which he says, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. There are no perfect elders, but there is a perfect Savior who mediates on our behalf 
Therefore, we can approach the throne with confidence. We can approach servant leadership with confidence because it's not a confidence in our abilities. It's not a confidence in our strength, but it is a confidence in the one who has called. Our confidence is in the one whose grace is sufficient. And so my church, church my, my prayer is that as we start this conversation, about what healthy biblical leadership looks like. I hope that ultimately it stirs our heart to worship. My prayer is that we would see the raising up of leaders as ultimately being a gift from God, a God who loves us so much that not only did he send his son to die for us 2,000 years ago, not only does he send his spirit to indwell us every day, but a God who loves us so much that he raises for us up, he raises up pastors and elders who desire to lead us and feed us and protect us and care for us. That's what I want you to see when, el when, when leaders are raised up in this church. Yes, we can thank the leader, but you ultimately need to see that as a gift from God. God is providing for you what you need by raising up pastors and elders for you to care for you. So when elders are raised up, we praise God and we recognize that it is ultimately his faithfulness. It is his faithfulness. God is the good shepherd, the great shepherd who leads us and feeds us and protects us and cares for us. And so what a good God we have who is raising up and giving us leaders that will lead and live like Jesus. So let's pray.